You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about how to effectively leverage virtual and hybrid events and how to make them as effective post-event as possible to help your marketing, drive revenue, things of that nature. To help us, we have with us Julius Solaris, VP of Market Strategy Events at Hopin. In 2020, his virtual events have been attended by over 60 thousand event professionals. That's a lot of people in a lot of virtual environments. So welcome to the show, Julius. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for having me, Chad. Very excited to talk to you. And uh, yeah, let's, let's talk virtual. Awesome. So before we jump in, we always like to start with a topic just for the audience to get to know you. I'm always curious to know something you're passionate about that those that only know you potentially from a work environment might, might be surprised to learn about you. Well, I'm Italian, Chad, and, uh, you know, I'm a big coffee geek. So I spend a lot of time. I'm actually training to become barista. So I spend a lot of time crafting my espresso making and uh, I'm getting into latte art as well. If you know what that is, like making shapes with uh, milk. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's my passion. How, how did you get lot. into that? <laughs> Well, uh, you know, my espresso needs are kind of sophisticated. I've been <laughs> my, my life uh, abroad. I've been living in Australia and in the UK for eight years and now in the US in six years now. So, you know, for an Italian being away from espresso, it's a big deal. So I had to kind of like work my way to do my own espresso in most cases for lack of availability. So that sort of spiraled out of control. And uh, yeah, now I spend a lot of time on it. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's okay. amazing. All right. So let's talk virtual events. Let's talk about the event space first in general, because, I mean, it took a huge change, right? I mean, it's one of those industries that was severely impacted by COVID. Not that others weren't, but, you know, we went from everybody getting together in large convention centers to now having to transition to virtual events. And I'm curious about just in general, what it is about the event space that you're so passionate and excited about. Help us understand the story of how you got into that. Yeah, uh, well, you know, as you said it, uh, first to go, last to come back. That's how we <laughs> say it uh, in the industry, unfortunately. That's, that's the reality of it. You know, the events industry, event professionals, as we call them, uh, you know, they're my family in a sense, right? I've been writing. I, I, my previous background is in media. I founded a website called EventMB that I sold in 2019 after 10 years of writing and researching about the use of technology in events. That was my passion. It made me achieve a lot of stuff. It gave me a green card to come to the United States. So I, I have like a lot of, uh, I own a lot to the event planning community. Um, it's literally my family, people that I care about. And it's my passion. I love I love the, the feeling of connecting people. I love to, you know, I think it's unique, the face-to-face -face industry. It's really unique and uh, uh, it's very tough to find the same level of engagement that you get at events in other marketing channels. And uh, I've always loved that, that you know, serendipity, uh, unexpected moment that you, leave, you live when you attend events. To a certain extent, 
I'm an introverted person, so events challenge me to go outside of my comfort zone. And um, that's why I love them so much, because otherwise it's very easy to be behind a screen and protect yourself. But like events challenge you in that sense. This is in-person events, but I'm equally passionate about technology and I challenge the industry since 2008. You have to, I've been one of the first to talk about the use of uh, hashtags in events back in the days when Twitter was like all the rage. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I've been challenged the status quo in the industry quite a lot because you don't join events, like you don't become an event planner because you like technology, right? It's very counterintuitive. Like you, you join events because you like people and offline. But with years, we've seen that either you embrace technology or you're not going to be able to scale. If you're serious <laughs> about events, like you got to join the bandwagon. So I've been pushing that quite hard. You know, I've been having a lot of heated conversations for the years. But, you know, at the end of the day, I really cherish this community that has been incredibly resilient over the nightmare that happened since March 2020. Yeah, absolutely. There was definitely a lot of changes. And so now, you know, flash, fast forward kind of almost two years, everybody uh, is has been in some virtual event, hopefully somewhere in some way, shape, form or fashion. And there's definitely good ones. And then there are those that you just can't wait for them to end. <laughs> so, so from your perspective, when it comes to virtual, what is it that makes a great virtual event? What's that foundation look like? So those people that are continuing to do virtual events should be aware of. I don't want to state the obvious here, but like we're burnt out by uh, screen exposure these days, right? <laughs> Everything is happening like virtually. We're working virtually. A lot of us are working remotely in business environments. So we're overexposed to uh, interaction over screens. And, and we've got to be aware of that when we think of good implementation of events. But I'm going to make you an example of that that went viral on my LinkedIn. So I'm going to use that because it resonates quite a lot with people. That's our internal event at Hopin. We're a fully virtual company uh, that uses the platform for our own events as well, right? Internal events. And uh, we have an event every Friday morning. We had it this morning as we're recording at 7 a.m. in the morning Pacific, for me at least. Uh, it goes obviously around the world, different time zones. Let me, let me tell you, this is an event at Friday, 7 a.m. in the morning that I'm actually looking forward to. I'm excited to join it. And when it's not there because it's holiday or whatever, I'm kind of bummed because it's not happening. Um, so can you <laughs> believe it? Like, I'm actually can't wait to join it. And the reason for that, there's multiple reasons. First off, it's like, it's a mandatory event, so you got to be there. So, you know, this really puts you in kind of a, um, a lot, would scare a lot of people uh, off in a sense, but um, I actually love it. And that's for a number of factors. One, the hosts are incredible. We have always like incredible hosts that know how to manage an event virtually, uh, having MCs, moderators, however you want to call them that kind of like make you feel like you're almost watching a TV show. So important and overlooked. Like people, like we, we bought a company called StreamYard that, you know, helps a lot of content creators to live stream what they do. And like a lot of the people that join Hopin come from StreamYard. So they're content creators. So they're extremely well on screen, right? So they, they do some of it. Uh, then it's like, it's a fun event. It's a serious event, but it's a fun event as well. It's a serious event where our CEO every week shows up to give an update. It's a very important update. You know, there's challenging stuff that is happening. There's exciting stuff that is happening. 
Uh, but at the same time, it's also it's like we're not taking ourselves too seriously. And that's a mistake that a lot of virtual events do. Um, you know, being boring, being like flat, having like long form like presentations. Like our presentations do not go over 10, 15 minutes at most, sometimes five minutes. The rhythm is super, the pace is super fast. It's like always like exciting. There's always something coming up next. There's uh, and then there's fun. There's music at the beginning. Everybody's tuning in. There's loud music. Everybody's using the chat, posting gifts, having fun, right? And engaging with each other, like celebrating it's Friday. And then we have competitions. We have, uh, you know, show up in costume, like themed <laughs> over Halloween, over like you know, we keep it like really engaging. And when I say we, I mean our internal events team, which is just amazing. But, like this is not like something budget crazy it's just like a matter of designing right events i think this is very important this is not a problem with a tool virtual events as such are not boring events can be boring whether they're virtual in person <laughs> right True. Uh, it's just a matter of like designing it right i love it and so there's a lot of there's a lot of factors there right there's obviously the tool set the, the, that brings people together the connectivity there's the design of it there's the understanding of the dynamicism, if that's even a word, dynamic nature of, of interaction. And so there's a lot for people to think about when they're trying to craft virtual events that are truly engaging and do allow individuals to connect. So I, I would love if you could boil it down to say three areas that you would suggest companies focus on in order to create great virtual events. What would those be? Absolutely. So first off, uh, technical um, implementation, right? Um, nobody wants to see things that are not working. And, uh, you know, everything has to be smooth. Everything has to work. And um, that goes in, that boils down to the experience that we have online, right? And that, I feel, to a certain extent, was part of the success of Open. For context, for those that don't know about it, our, our founder, Johnny Bufferhat, founded Open in 2019, okay? After he was spent two years in bed with an autoimmune disease because he couldn't attend events. And so, but he wanted a better event platform, like better than webinars, right? Where people could connect. And like, we went from like zero in 2019 to a thousand people and a billion dollar investment two years later. So there's a reason for that. And, and to me, that's the experience part. It's just like, like the technology has to work and deliver on that. Some technologies are better than others. So keep that in mind. Not just saying hopping is the best. I mean, to me it is, but like, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of tools that are better than others. So you got to make sure the tools work right. And, um, you know, everything is flawless. Everything super easy to, to watch. There's no friction when you're signing up for an event, when, when you're like logging in, like everything has to work, right? It's like attending an event in person. Like you don't want to be in line forever, right? We're not in 1999. Uh, we have technology to support like super speed checking and all and all of that. So keep that in mind. Things have to work. Then the second point is you got to keep it simple. I don't want to say like you know, very high level vanilla stuff here. But, like this is becoming so important right now in designing like effective virtual events. We're bored in like long, enormous amount of time spent on like a day, two days, three days. We see that like keeping it short and sweet works extremely well then you can have multi multi-day but be like keep in mind and having like six hours keeping six hours people on a screen it's not going to work right so we've seen that well with time keeping it short and sweet and to the point and valuable 
That's what people care about because, listen, giving you my time today, it's, it's a big deal. We don't have a lot of time, right? We stress with a million things going around us <laughs> more than ever before. So if you ask for my time, it's gonna be well used. So it's not about like being bored with virtual events. We're being frustrated with waste of our time, I feel. So you gotta use our time well. You gotta make sure you're delivering on the promise. And then it's gotta be novel because an event is an event for a reason, right? I feel there's gotta be a con like some level of novelty, whether it's a speaker, a surprise, something that you're creating and makes that event unique. Otherwise, I just gotta go on YouTube and watch someone speaking, right? I don't need to be in an event. I can watch a video of someone speaking online right. without being involved in it, and probably it's gonna be more, more produced and better implemented. So these are my top three areas. I love it. And so now when people are approaching the concepts of, of putting together a virtual event strategy, because I, I, I have a feeling I'm, I could be wrong, but as even as we move and let's hope we're moving towards the end of the, of the pandemic and people can start to get back together in some way, shape, form or fashion. Um, I still think virtual is going to be a part of everything moving forward, right? There's just mm -hmm. cost savings and time savings and things that, that factor in. And so when a company let's say, okay, they've given their thought to how I'm going to design a great event, but that needs to be part of an event strategy, a virtual event strategy or a hybrid event strategy. And some companies will try it once and fail or, or not do it to say the level that they want to do and they'll run away from it. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious to know, you know, what is it when I start to put together, you know, my virtual event strategy that I should be thinking about? Totally. That's such a great question, Chad. I feel that a lot of people don't think that way when it gets to events, but can you think about it like applying the same mentality to other marketing tools? It's like you tried email marketing once and it doesn't work and all right, all right, let's move on. <laughs> you know, it's just like, obviously running events is not as easy as setting up an email. So we feel the mental block of having to go through some planning and dedicating time. It, it is true. It is an activity that requires time, but like the economies of scale that you can get with virtual events are incredible, right? Unprecedented to a certain extent when you compare them to in-person events that really require an effort, right? And it's very tough to find scale with in-person events because it's always like, you know, in-person and there's a million moving pieces. With virtual, you kind of can create canvases that can be reapplied, right? And when you find a structure that works, um, you have the ability to create templates that you can, you know, immediately redeploy every month. But on a strategy level, what really this is going towards, uh, in a sense, uh, and in, this is like redefining, I guess, also the role that uh, events in general have in the marketing mix. I feel that the strat strategic part of having a new category such as virtual events, which, by the way, is by no means new. Virtual <laughs> events have been around forever. But like, you know, it's got to be said, we've seen more development in technology in the past 20 months than in the past 20 years. You know, it's just incredible. At Hopin, we shipped hundreds of features in the last year alone. So the tools are developing. We're in year three of the biggest revolution in virtual events, for sure. So what does it play in, in your strategy? I feel that we like to call it um, shared experiences strategy uh, or redefining it as a event-driven community. That's what we like to call it. So there's a shift in marketing and creating communities, right? creating like sort of uh, your niche, your group, your tribe, where your customer can uh, feel closer um, to you and with each other. And I feel that, you know, if you're thinking about events, it makes a lot of sense to run your monthly, quarterly events that then culminate in an in-person event. 
I feel that's where we, the direction where we're, ta we're, we're taking, at least in the short term, because attending in person, it's, it's still difficult, right? In many places in the world, probably not as much here in the US, but still there's a lot of uh, components that go into that. Um, personal safety, you know, stuff that we feel um, concerned about. Therefore, thinking about how can I use virtual events monthly or quarterly or weekly in some cases to create that community feeling and then culminate all of that with a premium in-person experience, that's like so powerful because events make you feel cl closer to a certain extent to the brand. It's a perfect middle of the funnel strategy to that it's more intimate than whatever you can do on a marketing level. It's more intimate than social media, I would say, because social media has a lot of noise and confusion and information. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. I mean, it really makes you feel uh, part of something when you attend events. Um, and so, yeah. That's, that's a perfect perspective. And so I love the idea of that culmination, right? And the personal safety, everybody has to make their own choice. I, I literally went to Mexico the first week of January and uh, popped positive for COVID. And what was supposed oh. to be a seven day trip turned into a 16 day uh, Mexican adventure. So I completely understand some of the you know, the fears that people have and then the different, you know, entrance and exits requirements based on country and stuff, especially if you're a global company. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I love that idea, that concept of that culmination in, in an in-person event. Um, talk to me about the difference between, I mean, we get virtual. I think everybody understands yes. that. But when we say hybrid events, what, what, are, what do we mean? What does that look like? So um, this is like, there's a big debate about hybrid events right now in the event planning community uh, and finding a definition of it. The traditional definition is that one event that it's happening online and offline at the same time. Okay, so that's that's what we're we're defining. So there's two audiences: one online, one offline. They could potentially interact, right? But that definition itself, we find it's very exclusive in a sense of other ways of thinking about hybrid. So we feel that. Some events, for example, are defining hybrid also as an event that it's happening, say, in person um, only. And then a week after, there's a virtual version of it. So there's a, there's a new definition of synchronous versus asynchronous hybrid to a certain extent. So where the synchronous hybrid experience is one that is happening at the same time. The asynchronous is one that is happening at different times, but with the same audience in some cases, with the same content. The emphasis here with hybrid is obviously there's benefits. There's cost involved, obviously, because in most cases um, you're planning more than just planning one virtual or in-person event. But there's also opportunities, right? You can extend the audience of an in-person event. And right now with the pandemic and the trouble of traveling, you're including also people that cannot be there, which is a big deal for a lot of organizations. Think about internal events. Don't think only about conferences and trade shows. Like, you know, you've got to be inclusive of people that are working from home. How do you do that? So if you have multiple offices or you have a hybrid office spaces, in this use case is becoming incre incredibly important. It's like, you got to be able to involve everybody. You can't leave people and say, sorry, you're working from home. You're not part of, part of the company anymore, right? <laughs> so that feeling um, of exclusion is something that hybrid events kind of immediately give an answer to. But on, on the longer term, the use of hybrid events, it's more significant than just, you know, a pandemic issue. There's travel, 
that's probably not going to happen in the same fashion of pre-pandemic going forward. So people are not going to travel for like one day across the country <laughs> here in the U right. US. Like, can you think about that? Like we uh, used to do these yeah. things, right? And then the second part is, um, so there's, there's a, a lot of debate about, you know, the sustainability issue here as well, which is one that younger generations feel very, very passionate about, right? So, you know, hybrid events are a direct answer to that because, you know, some people want to be there in person. Some people like, you know, feel comfortable with it. They don't care about the virtual. Some other people don't feel comfortable with going in person for their own beliefs. And, they, you know, you've got to create an experience for both. Now, what technology platforms are doing is actually trying to shift the focus. And instead of planning two events for one audience, you're really planning one event for two audiences. That's, that's the shift. That's the ability, the economies of scale that technology companies are building in the background. So you have one system, one dashboard that has multiple audiences and you can start optimizing and planning for, for two separate scenarios. That's where we get into right now. I love it. And so when we think about the technology that's going to enable this, and we could talk, I mean, we could talk about all of the platforms that are out there, but I'm really more interested in Kind of, you mentioned a hundred. I think you said a hundred features that happened in ship uh, in the past year and a half or two years. Mm -hmm. When you think about the technology, what are the top two features that you think the technology needs to provide in order for it to support the level of engagement that is optimal in these situations, virtual or hybrid? Totally. That's that's such a great question. So first off, the technology that you use for your events these days is got to be all in one. Okay, so you got to be able to use dashboards that offer the tools, the basic tools that you need to run in person, virtual or hybrid events. So if you invest in one person, in one platform that does just virtual or just in person, then you're in a nightmare of exporting, importing. You have no data <laughs> points. It's just like crazy, crazy. So you can't afford to do that. And like for all in one, I mean, also ecosystems, you bet on an ecosystem. Like what we like about what I, we like to do at Hopin is like integrating. We have a lot of partnerships with a lot of different tools that you already use uh, that can immediately kind of be integrated with the tool. So you have a more sensible data, because if we're talking engagement, this is a very dear topic to us at Hopin. We've seen a correlation between engaged audiences, whether it's sponsors, uh, attendees or speakers and the success of an event. If you have engagement, you have a successful event. But how do you measure engagement, right? That's what we're working on right now. And having only one platform is the first step to being able to have the data that matters to create more engagement. So you can make better decisions in terms of the length of the sessions, the speakers that work or work better. You know, there's a million things that you can get in terms of insight. And the second bit to me it's what I call serendipity or liminality more. I refer to that as that. So what we miss about in-person events, Chad, is that it's not, we don't miss attending a keynote session in a dark room for an hour. We don't miss that. What we miss, <laughs> what we miss is like, is the walk that we do between that keynote session and the next session during a coffee break. It's the, the person that we meet in the corridor or during a coffee break or at a party. That's what we meet. That's what we value about in-person experiences. And some virtual platforms, and I think Hopin was, became viral 
at the beginning of the pandemic, specifically because of a, of a feature that we have, which we call networking shuffle. And it's like, you know, you just click on it and you get randomly assigned to meet someone within the event and you have three minutes to talk to them. You can decide to extend the time if you want to. Oh, like literally, I, I attended an event last week for StreamYard, our quarterly event. I spent like an hour during the event, like meeting random creators on the platform. I had such an amazing conversation. Some others, like some, some more than others, but it's fine. Like you move on, right? But it gives you an opportunity to discover and create like excitement by not just the content that's being presented. So those are the two that I would look at. I love it. I love it. And so and when you think about what's happened at, at Hopin, I would love to understand, you know, not only what you do there, but why you chose to work there, what you find so compelling about the organization. So, Chad, I started, I'm Italian. I started writing about the use of technology in events in English in 2007. And I was literally talking to myself, like not even my family <laughs> could understand what I was writing because they couldn't speak English. So I've been talking about the use of tech in events forever. You have to think that probably in 2015, uh, one company called Double Dutch raised $50 million and we were shocked, mind blown by that amount. It was like unprecedented in the events industry to, to see that level of investment in an event technology company. So when hopping comes around and in the space of two years, there is a billion dollars, you know, this is like something that you see once in a lifetime, you know, <laughs> after spending 15 years talking about this, to see this materializing in front of you, uh, it's just unbelievable. So to even have that opportunity to be part of that is just uh, something that if you've been in this industry and talking about technology, it's not going to, I don't know if it's going to happen again, but like definitely I'm not going to let that opportunity Pass away. I uh, love it. I love it. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions at the end of each interview. The first is simply as a VP, that makes you a prospect for a lot of people. And so you're obviously getting approached and, and sign out, you know, asked to buy stuff a lot. I'm always curious to know when somebody doesn't have a trusted referral into you, what is it that works for you when somebody's trying to capture your attention and earn the right to time on your calendar? So um, I thought about this a little bit in preparation for our chat. And uh, it was funny enough, like I, I, one that really worked with me uh, was actually someone that invited me, invited me to speak on their podcast and then followed up with a sales request after the podcast. So they were using the podcast strategically to generate leads. So like I didn't see coming at all. Like I was like genuinely excited to, <laughs> to be on the podcast. It was so clever. And like, no, I didn't feel it as like, I'm very, very sensitive to people reaching out on LinkedIn. I have like almost 20,000 contacts on LinkedIn. I get contacted every day. It's just like a nightmare or like, you know, uh, emails that kind of like, you know, scrape for databases. Now that I'm doing pop, it's just a nightmare of like, Julius, would you like to hear more about that? I report a spam immediately. So I'm very sensitive to that. But like the way they did it, it was just clever. They were like creating value for their audience because they, you know, I, I just shared like actionable advice to their audience. At the same time, they were like, oh, but is there like, uh, you know, something we can work on together? So it was like very, very clever. They really tapped into my ego, maybe. I don't know. Uh, everybody wants to talk these days. 
So <laughs> I feel that you don't have to do a podcast episode necessarily, but like, you know, if you're doing, say, for example, uh, a 10 people roundup post on your blog or whatever it is, or your LinkedIn, you know, involving these people, asking for their opinion, and then sort of developing a relationship, I think it's very clever. Nice. And so, okay, last question. We call it our acceleration insight. So if you could give, and we'll just make it for uh, industry event professionals, if you could give one piece of advice to industry event professionals that you feel like would enable them to exceed their targets or their metrics or their goals, what would it be and why? So we're entering uh, a word, a cookie-less word, right? We know that. That's coming uh, ahead going to be incredibly difficult to find data, right? To get data from our customers. Uh, it's not getting easier. Let's put it that way. Events are by far the tool and virtual events specifically where everybody's willing to give away all that data to enter your event and access the content and access the community that you created. So that's going to be an incredible touch point for your strategy where people are actually willing to give away data. And, and then once they're in, you have a million additional data points, such as you've downloaded a PDF or you're interacted with a session. So you can start creating credible personas based on the data that gets created within the virtual event environment. So don't discard it because like, you know, uh, the data that you can get out of it can make the difference and can really give you breakthrough. Love it. All right. Julius, if somebody's interested in learning more about hopping or talking to you about these topics, where's the most ideal place for us to send them? Absolutely. Hopin.com, free to uh, actually run your own event up to 200 people. So just get on it and try it. You know, there's no cost involved. So nothing to lose there. Hopin.com or Julius at Hopin.com. If you have a question for me, if you have more complex programs, you need to talk to someone within the company. Excellent. Just, I can't thank you enough for taking time to be on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for having me, Chad. All right, everybody that does of this episode, you know the drill, b2brevexec.com. Share it with friends, family, coworkers. If you like what you hear, do us a favor, write us a review on iTunes. Until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.